2: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. Today we are talking with our good friend Will Haskett of PGA Tour Radio. Plus he has a book! It's coming out this fall, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon.com. The Science of Golf. We're going to talk about on-course broadcasting. We're just going to be talking about golf in general because, hey, sometimes it's just fun to talk about golf and not necessarily the crazy analytics that are... Surrounding the betting community, the DFS community. So remember to smash the like button to the episode and in the comment section, give me an idea for a future show like this from someone you would want to hear from within the golf space. Cause you know, we're just chatting about the sport that we enjoy to bet on we enjoy to watch, we enjoy to play and sometimes that's as fun as trying to break down who's going to win this week so sub to Mayo Media Network, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience Audio Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate and review while you're up there and FantasyNational.com slash Mayo will get you 20% off the most comprehensive stat database on the planet for golf obviously, ownership projections for the DFS community, simulations if you want to bet or incorporate that customized modeling made very simple It's all up there at fantasynational.com slash mail for that 20% off. Will Haskett, what's it like walking the course when you have absolute lunatics like myself and my friend Jeff Feinberg who have bet on certain people to win? Do you see that infiltrating more on the grounds over the
3: past few years? You hear the shouts. I think it's more on site. There's so much old school you know, cash exchanging hands. Like, I think this guy is going to hit the green. I don't think this guy is going to hit the green as opposed to having the actual apps out and doing the live betting that's available and coming and there's more coming if you listen to the pga tour really carefully they're getting pretty close to i think rolling out some products and some things because they're getting more comfortable with the data integration side of it so you probably don't even know more than that than i do but yeah it's it's still i think the old school you know, like two guys that are five beers into their day sitting in a chalet on 16 and they're like oh, i bet this guy misses this putt five bucks in terms of how much of it trickles into the actual golf course and to the guys, I would say for the most part, 98% of the fans that I encounter are pretty good. And anybody that's yelling at me is because I'm in their way and they can't see the shot that's coming up. And I politely tell them if I move to the left, then the person to your left is going to be yelling at me. And if I move to the right and the person to your right is going to be yelling at me, you are the lucky soul that gets to stare at my butt right now. I'm sorry. You'll see the next putt.
2: I, it was funny the first time that I went to a PGA event and to see the on-site broadcasters doing the radio feed or even doing the play by play for certain hits with certain groups on TV, just like the, the giant like fern that covers the microphone, like the, for the wind resistance, like the huge headset, yeah. the box that you have to carry around, that get tiresome when you're walking around the course.
3: Yeah. Fortunately, I'm a radio guy predominantly. So anytime it's TV, I'm in a booth or I'm hosting it somewhere and I'm not Colt Nost or one of the guys on TV. Now it depends. if you want. So my buddy, Mark Amelman transitioned from radio to TV and he's got a person that carries the TV for him. I and mean, that's big time. You know, you're big time when you've got like a runner out of college and that guy's job is to literally walk around with a 15 pound TV on a stick that they place down in front of you. But yeah, Colt Nost has gone to the Peter Costas model, which is to strap that bad boy with you know everything around your neck and then you're holding on to it and you're watching shots. And that's where we can probably get into. I'm sure your audience is aware of the fact that a lot of times you're not seeing the golf shot live on TV because it's one of the rare sports where you can have a ball in play 20 different places around a golf course, as opposed to football, basketball, those other things. So You know, it's a real skill, I think, for some of those TV broadcasters. A lot of times they're providing analysis of a golf shot that's already happened while they're seeing it taped on the air. And that's why they have to have that TV out there to respond to it as opposed to reacting to something that's right in front of them. So that's a little inside baseball right there. But I've yet to don the full TV around my neck setup. And hopefully I'll be in a tower instead of in that position as I evolve in my career
2: well I always find it funny because you're there on site doing the radio and I know like Reed Fowler who's you know my one of my colleagues at DraftKings he's been on the show a bunch of times he also does the PGA Tour live stuff now for ESPN Plus or Golf.TV Discovery Worldwide depending on what country you're watching this from and he's not on site they fly him to Jacksonville Mm -hmm. so he can watch it on a bunch of monitors and do the broadcast from there it just always seems really strange to me like why does he need to Fly somewhere to do that. They can't just patch him in a feed that he's supposed to watch.
3: Yeah, that's probably one where you've got four streams originating from. And I'm part of those PJ Tour Live broadcasts from time to time, too. And it's just easier for it all to centralize out of one location because you can trust the bandwidth to get the actual broadcast onto the air. And the interesting thing is the pandemic really changed how we view the acceptable nature of remote broadcasting. Is this was already starting to take place before the pandemic? Well, all of a sudden it became cool to be safe and distant and not have this giant footprint on site. And the things that we were already doing, I think behind the scenes to save a little bit of money here and there, whether that's travel costs, whether that's on-site broadcasting equipment sort of costs is now sort of the standard operating procedure across all sports. I mean, I, I broadcast sports, I broadcast 14 different sports in my career and many of them now, especially in the the non-revenue sports the Olympic sort of sports, you're seeing a lot more of those sports broadcasts originating from a remote broadcast standpoint. And while some kits can still be done at home, in the case of pga tour live they've got you know wireless cameras that are out there covering how many groups and all those signals go back to ponte Vita. and you've got six different broadcast crews because not only do you have the four streams you've got two different crews that are substituting in when guys need breaks so there's six crews so you do the math add it all up you've got six hosts six analysts a whole bunch of other stuff going on and it's easier to keep that all in one location
2: are, are you surprised that there hasn't been anything like the manning cast so far for one of these alternate streams just they're the same streams i mean obviously they have different people on on them, and you do get a mix of different personalities, but overall it's all really the same stuff. You're following a group or two along, you're doing your standard play-by-play, fill the time with some color, crack a few jokes, be on our way, try to update everyone on what's going on. But is it weird that we haven't seen even like a, cause I know that like, I, I'm not, I mean, I am advocating for this. I'm not going to fucking lie about it. Like something like how <laughs> Feinberg and I and Tim, we do our cut sweat show for every single one of the majors. Yeah, It's basically just us with the odds boards open. We're just chatting about what we're seeing, what's going on, the potential, you know, what's the cut line going to move to, what needs to happen down the list. Like it's essentially just a podcast. It's a watch along podcast. I'm just shocked they haven't leaned into that in some sort of way yet because we've ESPN do it with the NFL. It seemed like they tried that with A-Rod and Michael K on Apple Plus for the very first broadcast of their new Major League Baseball product that there's an appetite for it. It's incredibly niche, obviously, but it is something that it's both different and you can kind of throw shit at the wall and see what hits.
3: I think the niche aspect of it, though, makes it difficult in golf because there are so many different angles that you can go with. Do you want like the funny guy who's telling stories about his member guest? Do you want the guy that's providing more in-depth statistical analysis of what the guys are doing? There's the huge instruction crew. Do you want to bring in an instructor who tells you what to, you like to see out of all of these different swings and what's different there, here and there? I think that's where golf becomes a little bit more um, difficult to, I think, hone in on one of those particular streams i think the future would be finding an easy way to get a slight bit of rights access so that somebody who's really established like you or anybody has a, a particular niche audience you'd have an interactive way now right now the ask is probably too astronomical and so are we in a walk before we can run sort of place i think so i think the pga tour going to four streams with espn plus is a huge game changer and the product is Certainly, in front of more people, there's more golf on at more, t- at more times. You know, I I do get. I'll get a little bit old school and I'll defend against the idea that we don't see enough golf. It's a really hard sport to broadcast and to make available. It's just, the scope is so wide. The days are so long. And the reason why you can put a Monday night football game and have 40 different camera angles and not miss a single thing. And then also still have this sort of alternative broadcast. that's only takes three hours is because the game is over in three hours. It's really difficult to say on a Thursday, Oh, let's take all of these golf shots on 18 holes over how many acres of property and make it all happen. And so I think it's definitely a walk before we run sort of standpoint, but I'd like to think that we've already seen the governing body in this case, the PGA tour making really good strides towards making a, a younger product to a lot of people who are watching golf for different reasons. And then maybe that, that information will be shared or that proprietary viewing will be splintered around to give a little bit more to it because the NBA gives away a lot more content than say the NFL even does or specifically the PGA Tour does and maybe we'll get to that at some point in time but I think we're in a walk before we can run situation right now
2: well it became a coup for the NBA they were the first ones really to do that that if people wanted to make mixtapes of awesome highlights or dunks on YouTube this is I'm even talking like 12, 13 years when I was in broadcasting yep. school. Like, we were doing that and we were able to post clips like that up to YouTube or to Twitter. I mean, TikTok didn't, wasn't invented at that point, but even you could make vines of that sort of stuff. And the NBA was cool. It was free marketing for the NBA. Yep. And I, eventually the NFL has kind of come around to that. But like, I got, I wasn't able to post one of my videos for the PGA Tour from my account. They put a copyright on it. I was like, I do this for you. I'm it's the same video. I'm trying to get it out there to people. They're like, no, 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 no. We own that. That's going to stay with us. You can't put it out there. It's like, I'm in it. I wrote this. I produced it. I get that you own it, but you would think that you would want me to share it around at the same time? Like, there seems to be such a huge disconnect. And what you said about the younger generation, it's funny when we think about, like, the young generation of basketball. They really want to hit that demo. That demo is like 12 to 20-year-olds that they want to hit. The young demo in golf is me. It's like 27 to 40 is probably the young demographic in golf, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I'm 41 and I'm still young in that demographic. I mean, if you think I'm the youngest guy on the PGA Tour radio crew that does that does live play by play every week and I'm 41 and I've been told I'm too old for a lot of other sports that are trying to get younger. So, the thing about golf that I think helps it but also hurts it is that there will always be a captive um, wealthy audience old, old audience. That, you're right right <laughs> we can sell Cadillacs we can sell insurance Dick we pill. can sell we, everything we can sell retirement funds you know all of these big banks and everything they're going to it because a lot of people still don't matriculate into the game being a fan until they're older until they're businessmen until they're out and it's their next competitive sort of itch And so that's a safety net, right? And so you'd think, okay, well, with that safety net, we should maybe try and do a few more things. But that's also been our key audience for all of it. And I think that's the really difficult challenge in all of it is, and again, I work, most of my money comes from the governing body itself. So I'm not gonna, (laughs) I can't come on here and just start spewing, you know, vitriol against it because I think there's a lot of things that are being done right, but we want things to happen so quickly overnight. And while the NBA is a star driven league and it's very much individual, it's still teams. The teams are still sort of running it and sharing that product I think becomes a little bit easier than it does on the PGA tour where it's individual, still private contractors that are members of the tour. They're still trying to kind of figure out how that all works together. And so I think being safe has served professional golf really well. It's hard to say that the PGA Tour hasn't gotten a lot of decisions right when you look at where the media rights deals are right now and what they're doing. So who am I to say it? Yes, would we love to see it splinter out a little bit? Sure. And I think it will be coming, if I'm honest with you, Pat. I mean, it just. It's just not going to happen as quickly as these other sports, who certainly have the pulse of a younger generation more at heart. But look, no one captures that 65-year-old demo like golf, baby. Come on, here we go. Let's do it.
2: Oh, and listen, it's a great demo. I even look at the demographics for my golf shows. They are completely different than the demographics for my football shows. I I generally hit the... 20 to 40 range for football. Like that's 90% of the people who watch my football shows. For golf, it's a bit more spread out. It's like 25 to 55. And that makes me, for advertisers' sake, like they love that. That, That's absolutely fantastic. It's like, oh, people with money watch your show? Uh, They can afford to buy some of the products that you advertise? That's fantastic news. That's a great net for me as well. But I'm just trying to think of it from the PGA standpoint that you have all these different niches like you talked about. Like who do you put on a quote-unquote Manning cast stream. I think there's ways that you can patch together two or three of those niche interests and put them into one, because sure. not not everyone, like, I mean, Phil is probably a terrible example to use at the moment, but if you wanted to talk about someone who could tell you funny stories could tell you about you know how to swing like break down the the intricacies of the swing or decision making although his might be a bit skewed uh, based on his swing and his decision making over the years but also talk about gambling he's sort of like the triple threat when it comes to that sort of stuff like I, I whether you're a Phil fan or not It would have seemed very logical that if, whenever he was done playing, that out of anyone you could draft first overall to put in the booth in that like Faldo spot on CBS, it would probably be him,
3: wouldn't it? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I think they were grooming him for whatever that multi gazillion contract. I mean, we're talking Tony Romo money, maybe even for Phil Mickelson to be that person in that position. And, you know, but if you watch this like a CBS broadcast right now, Having Colt now on the golf course as opposed to a Peter Costas has changed the the tenor. It's changed some of the conversation. Is it subtle? Absolutely. But I think what it's also done is you've got a younger demographic that loves Colt. I love Colt. I love his insight. And But you also have an older demographic that still loves the CBS model of how they've always watched a golf tournament on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon that still don't feel like when they show up, it's a foreign product to them either. So it's these subtle little shifts. And I think the best way forward would probably be to find the perfect – media partner that you would do a rights grant, a grant a rights access to. But right now with, you know, ESPN's got digital rights access. So it's going to be a really interesting, I think, you know, not to the next media rights negotiation, because that's a long way down the road, but how can they look into social and look into digital to find a few different things there? And I think maybe we will. I mean, look, they're, they're always listening. Uh, the question is, you know, how, how many lawyers have to get involved to figure out what can actually be done?
2: Well, the biggest thing, and I don't want a change to the traditional NBC-CBS broadcast because, like you said, when my 74-year-old grandfather turns into golf or my 84-year-old grandmother, who loves watching golf, they don't want that to be changed. There's a certain template that they expect when they tune in and you wouldn't want to be doing a disservice to your primary audience with that. The one thing that I would like to see in these alternate broadcasts that I think is feasible is you don't want to be spending all this money on stuff that doesn't work, especially when you're not, I mean, it's a high revenue organization, but it's not the NFL. It's not the NBA in terms of overall scope and money coming in. But at least if you tailored something to a gambling or DFS crowd and maybe even bring on a sponsor for that, these are people putting real money into play every week. It seems like you'd be able to actually sell that to the audience, whereas if you had a swing instruction sort of vibe going on, like, are people really going to pay for that? Probably not. It would have to be something that was offered. It does always seem like when we get back to this niche community, which we can talk about the different communities, we were kind of chatting about it before the show, is that we'll pay for it. Well, we have no problem with it. If we have $1,000 in play on bets and DFS or more or even less, whatever it is, asking someone 10 bucks a week to pay for an alternate stream is is not crazy.
3: <laughs> right. And again, I think the pandemic slowed down a lot of progress across all avenues. I mean, you think back to I think it was pre-pandemic, it was maybe right before the pandemic started that you had the dedicated it was i think it was nbc that did it but they had the dedicated desk there and they're trying to do some things it was miscast a little bit oh and there were some boy. issues i think that week it was i know i know it, it was, it was miscast yeah i i like but there were. I, I will I, say this i will say this pat there was travel issues and i think health issues that dictated who was on that desk so i just want a little inside there that it wasn't exactly how it ended up being but that's again a walk before we run how can we take this streamline it down a little bit, put the right people in the right places, but we've at least seen an an opportunity to make that happen, make it a reality? I guess so. And this is not just a problem with that one P. I
2: I think it was at the waste management uh, yeah. alternate feed. And uh, listen, just them attempting to do it was huge and that's the part it's start. That, and that's really the part that I would like to focus on I know a lot of this show and conversations within our circle like of betting and, and draft kings, is just shitting on the broadcast over and over but I don't want to take away because I mean I also work in production as well I know what goes into this and a lot of it is just infrastructure cost of how to do it but it's the same mistake that they made with the I believe it was PointsBet who put that on because they have the NBC contract I like the idea of having that feed that's really good but it's the same thing that I'm seeing like Canada to just legalize single game sports betting it's now implemented in ontario and you're seeing the two major uh, sports networks up here try to incorporate betting into their product and the major mistake that they make is putting people on air to talk about betting who have legitimately never made a wager in their life that's the biggest issue like you you need to find you need to find these people who listen i don't need my broadcaster to be betting hundreds of thousands of dollars
3: every week but
2: i at least need to know that he knows or she knows how to place a
3: wager (laughs) Right. Well, how to read odds, how to understand what value is. So of those things that I've had to educate myself over the last four or five years. And it really kind of just comes down to either, are we educating those of us, me, are we educating me? as to how to make that happen? Are we putting people who can think like that in those positions to sort of succeed? And I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, because again, there's all these different audiences that we're trying to talk to from that. But you're right. If you're going to put a product out there that is just supposed to be in this one track, let's not pigeonhole somebody into that spot. But where does it come from? I still think with all of these streams and getting the infrastructure out there, and again, so much of this is just figuring out what can be done, stretching the limitations of what production can be done under a particular budget, who knows what we'll see out of the four streams that we get right now. We've gone from one, maybe two streams to four streams really quickly. Right before the pandemic, we were rolling closer and closer to our product, being able to see every shot, at least from some of the major marquee events. And then just the the shutdown of the world and the financial ramifications of that really put a stop gap into kind of where the tour, I think, was going to be going with that, at least in terms of the rollout of it all. So I think, again, there's a lot of product. We've seen this uptick in product. So are four streams the way they are constructed right now going to be what the entire audience gets. They're going to have those numbers that, you know, they're tracking everything and they're going to adjust as needed. And I think we'll eventually get there because as you said, there's money and they're going to take that money because <laughs> every single sports doing that, they're looking at where are the ways that we can get sponsorship dollars into it. And you've also seen that they are now, it's an easier platform to push people to. So whether that's Reed, who's getting a lot of good work on PG tour live, whether it's me, who's primarily radio because we need the bodies and I enjoy that product, but I can certainly cross over and talk, I think somewhat educationally about some of these types of things. Maybe you end up finding people who are getting groomed into those spots and you eventually have what that is in conjunction with somebody who owns the rights to that product. And now you get all the great video and data from it.
2: I was just really surprised that none of the sports books with all of just the funny money that they've been throwing around over the past three years. Shout out to, you know, DraftKings. I mean, I live a very comfortable life now thanks to DraftKings and the funny money that they throw around. So not disparaging that whatsoever. But I always like when I think about internationally, there are certain things and you even saw this during the pandemic and even before. Like Bet365 has the IGM rights to the shot link data. Their shot tracker is better than PGA Tour's shot tracker. If I want to find the most up-to-date info, whether I'm wagering on the site or not, I open up the app and I can find out a minute and a half earlier what happened on a shot than if I'm using the proprietary PGA app. There's a disconnect there. That doesn't make any sense. But I do think that that is very valuable. Now, not many people know that to think about it, but if DraftKings bought that stream and bought that right, could they also incorporate some of their own proprietary rights into that and have video playing on their app and their site when you went to go wager? I feel like that's more of a marketing hook than anything else. Rather than paying me to talk about golf, Obviously, it's not the same price range with any of this, but we just saw like McAfee. McAfee gets 30 million bucks a year. Shout out to McAfee because he's raising the raising the
3: bar for all of us out there. So, right down the road for me, he's yeah. like he's right over there. His show's originating. I can I can almost see it out my window, right over there. We're here in Indianapolis together, so it's all good. You go way give go, Ma-
2: you go give him a hug for me because my next contract <laughs> negotiation is going to be like quadruple because of Pat McAfee <laughs> and the way that he's able to bring people in and obviously convert them over to the sports book. And I mean, to a much much lesser degree, that's the reason that DraftKings pays me to do what I do. The talk about DraftKings and I mean it's a part of my product anyway because that's what I like to talk about that's where my interest lies but people who may not know anything about that stuff watch this show and they're like oh maybe I should give DraftKings a try it's the only reason I get paid it's not to create this award-winning content where I just randomly chat with people I find interesting but if they were to be able to buy rights to it and stream that from the DraftKings Sportsbook app or have a shot tracker that works better than the PGA Tour shot tracker All of a sudden, the investment in that infrastructure and those rights, you don't need me anymore. You just have the product that people want to see, and you're able to make your wagers while you're watching it at the same time. That seems like a no-brainer of where this goes.
3: I think that there is infrastructure in place, and they're gathering things that we both know about and we still don't know about that would make a lot of these things a potential reality. I'm not involved in those conversations. I'm not an employee of the PGA Tour. I'm merely a contract freelancer that works pre- uh, predominantly with the PGA Tour. But I just have to think that there has been a number of things put in place so that when they want to ramp something up, they can. And I guess that's the easiest way that I can put it.
2: All right, so you're, you're very much, it sounds like, my your relationship with the PGA Tour is very much like my relationship with DraftKings, where I am also a contractor. They're one of my clients of my company. So I can only know so much about what goes on because uh, people will remember back in time when there was a bit of a, a scandal, which actually wasn't a scandal. The media made it out to be a scandal in terms of what employees can know, where they can play versus what they can't know. And there's certain stuff that, employee, that contracted employees are allowed to have access to, but people like me just simply cannot know just because of the law. So uh, there's only so much I know about the interworkings of what go on at trackings. Uh, Like I assume you would only know about the PGA Tour. There's certain stuff they can't tell
1: you.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting. We have to make that dance all the time, right? And and call me old school again, because I grew up wanting to be a broadcaster when I was a little kid. And that was very much in the linear days of broadcasting, right? Like just radio and television. There was no multimedia. There was no idea that the internet would even be around, let alone that when it got here, that it'd be the place where all of this media would go to exist. It was you work your way to get onto a radio or a television feed. And so when I think back to that just sort of responsibility of being a broadcaster, of being a journalist, if you want to throw out a a four letter word and call me a journalist uh, you know, I look at it now it's, there are still as a, even a freelance contract employee with the PGA tour, there are morals clauses and things that I am held to even as a freelancer when it comes to week to week. And so I love all of the content from a gaming standpoint and weeks when I'm not on the PGA tour, I'm happy to go on several of the shows I help to fill in and host on Sirius XM or a number of places. And I'll tell you exactly where I think I'm going to put my money. But then there's weeks when I'm covering that event on the PGA tour where it's like, I don't have any bets this week because I can't place any bets this week. And you know what? I don't have a problem with that because there's an old school vibe in me that's like, I don't want to be calling a putt for birdie on the 18th hole on Sunday where I am influenced at all emotionally as to what happens with that putt because there's some sort of financial gain on my end. And I'd like to think that most people feel that same way and value their craft. But at the same point in time, this is a great space. I love this community. I want to talk to them. And so maybe on Thursday, I tell you that You know, I love the value of somebody this week. I'm just not putting two units on so-and-so to win this week, if that makes a lot of sense.
2: Well, you're in a really interesting position of having the access that all of us don't have, the stuff that we have to speculate on. And right before the Players' Championship – I remember that Tambo and I were doing a live show. Someone sent us this clip of the Japanese media asking Hideki about his injury. And we were like, that doesn't yep. sound very good. And then all of a sudden, he with WDs the next day. So that was a talking point. Now, obviously, you can't talk to 156 players in the field. But it does feel like you say you don't want to have wagers on it because that would influence how you broadcast. I agree with that. I think that's fine. and I do. But I do think that there would be a want for the flip side of that where you sort of had like the the Homer broadcast has become a thing now, whether like, sure. especially because where I live in the Northeast, I get a lot of like Boston media. You can't watch a Boston broadcast where people aren't overtly cheering for the Boston teams. <laughs> Everything is constantly going against them. Like it's at like the, yeah. the, The persecution complex, even on the broadcast team, is just so outrageous from the Boston market. But, hey, it works for them. And I think there would be a want for that. But I think that if you were able to channel the rights feeds a little bit, that you you don't necessarily— I like the commentary on everything. But if I was just able to bet on six golfers and create a split screen with three and three on the top of my screen that just showed every shot from one of my golfers, I don't think I would need to have the broadcast. I think I would be thoroughly entertained with watching that. I am a very small market for that. Maybe that's not the key. But I do think when you were talking about the pandemic stuff put in place and lowering... Cause this is one thing I always used to talk about with guys at Fox all the time when they were getting into the golf broadcasting biz, uh, and now they seem to be out of the golf broadcasting business. But I was like, why can't you just have someone with an iPhone walk around and just stream it that way? And then we could just have live whatever for what we can see and we can tune into we can pay for that feed it wouldn't be all that costly to produce and the response was always like well that's not tv quality that you can't stream that in 4k i was like the people who want this don't give a shit about 4k they just want to know what's going on that's literally it and then i kind of came up with the idea of what if we just did have every shot and you allocated one radio reporter to each group and you could choose the group that you wanted to go into at least then in real time it would be cost effective for one thing because you don't you need to broadcast out it's not cheap mind you But doing a radio broadcast versus doing a television broadcast are two completely separate worlds in terms of cost.
3: Yeah, I think there's always going to be a quality control dynamic, right? Any rights holder is going to say, like, we want to make sure that there's quality control. But what can we do to make it look unique, sound unique, and offer a unique service? And you're right. And again, I think even just the remote broadcasting standpoint – could you imagine 5 years ago on broadcast TV if you saw an interview and you're staring up someone's nostril from a webcam. You'd be like what like what loser is producing this program right now. Now you can't go 5 minutes without watching a TV program with looking at someone's ceiling. You know, I got my computer on a box here so that we actually can line this thing up. And I got this thing framed behind me because I still value a little bit of production control. But you know what? Most of your audience, no offense to anybody watching this right now, but most of your audience probably wouldn't have cared if my screen right now was looking up at my ceiling and you didn't get to see it But because we have it's become acceptable. So I think you're right about that. But again, you're dealing with decades worth of quality control. And what is that? How are we going to take off some of the layers of armor and massage this into various products and then again if we fulfill satisfying a need for one area of a an audience that we think that we can sell to or we think we can sell to an advertiser because they're speaking to that audience do we have another segment that needs to be sold to as well or feels like they get left that so again i think that. I don't know any of this because again, I'm just hoping that they hire me whenever they create whatever the next level is. Cause I'm, you know, I'm beholden to getting a phone call at the beginning of the year that says, yes, we are going to keep you employed for another year calling golf in this capacity. But I would love to see a few different sort of offshoots and have some fun with it. But again, we're building up an infrastructure of both professional grade quality broadcasts that I think could incorporate some of this. And we might see a marriage of it all coming to fruition.
2: It's funny to think that this other tour that is maybe going to happen, I have no idea whether it's going to happen or not. The, I guess they're calling it the live tour now, not this rebranding from the Saudi tour, which is probably a good marketing <laughs> move on their part. But I mean, I don't think it's going to be successful whatsoever. But one thing that we found from the XFL the first time around, although it was not successful and ended after a year, was they were able to put on an alternative broadcast. And it wasn't the best broadcast in the world, but they did they did stuff so much differently just to differentiate themselves that the NFL took a look at it and be like, ah, these are four things that they were doing that were really good, that we can incorporate into it. Do you think that that might be the greatest outcome for this alternate league? That, yeah, maybe it gives some of the older guys a place to go compete again, like sort of a, a bridge between being super competitive on the PGA Tour before you hit the Champions Tour and extend that into your 50s a little bit to make some more money, but from a broadcasting point of view, that maybe they just try things a little bit differently. It was a lot like those Fox broadcasts when they were broadcasting the yeah. US Open. They had those cool bunker cams and the drone shots. They didn't all stick, but all All of a sudden you watch NBC and CBS the following year and all of a sudden they're using the stuff that worked from that Fox broadcast. And now that has improved their broadcast overall. Do you think that's the potential for this other tour?
3: I think so too. I and mean, you took the words out of my mouth I mean, what Fox did was great. Unfortunately, what they did is they shoved it all into a funnel and tried to fit it into an actual major championship broadcast too quickly. And then it became sort of overrun or it got glitchy and there were a few things, but you're right. They took, there's a lot of stuff that happened. I mean, the whole flyover at the same time, like shot tracker while you're doing it, phenomenal technological advancements that now you see that has been stolen or taken over. And it's part of the broadcast now. So again, those are the sort of, I think jumps that you make. And as for an alternative league, Look, there's too much money for it not to happen. The question is, even if you did something different, even if you made, whether it's the format or the broadcast or whatever it might be, the action still has to be compelling. So who are the players? Are they compelling to an audience? And so do you make it so curveball? Do you change things so rapidly that you do something that is like, wow, this is totally different. And it drives an interest in a market because I think, again, you're talking about, yeah, you've got international guys in their forties who kind of are looking at where am I? I'm a vagabond right now as a professional golfer. This is where I'm going to go as kind of a a separate PGA tour champions. Like PGA tour champions is doing just fine. There's some good tournaments. You get some good fields. They've got good community support in some of these places. Like it's not even that great of of a competitor against the guys in the over 50 circuit right now. So yeah, I think you'd have to kind of go really crazy to just find a few things that are going to stick and get people's attention. But right now, because of just kind of the dirtiness of the money and the, the good battle back and forth and the lack of transparency and really what it's all about and what's supposed to be doing has really just kind of left it treading for water. And I, I don't really know what the next iteration of it is going to look like because it just feels like it's going to be so watered down and I have my own personal opinions on this concept of it growing the game. And I think it's a disservice to the young guys or the the, the journeymen who are probably going to get a nice couple of paydays. And then the idea is to just probably kick them out, you know, if you attract bigger name and better name players. And that, to me, just kind of leaves a salty taste in my mouth. So I don't really know. I feel like there's a, few, a huge identity here. And I never saw anything about how this is how it's going to be monstrumentally different and how we broadcast this. Right. There's nothing. There was no, and here's the thing: we complain that we don't get to see it have golf shots on TV right now. Can you imagine first and second day when you put them out in a shotgun? <laughs> like, good luck figure out a way to broadcast all of that. We can't figure out how to get you a live golf shot on Sunday afternoon when there's four groups coming down the stretch and you want to be able to see the marquee guys on Thursday when one's teeing off on two and the other guy's teeing off on 11. Like, have fun with that one, guys.
2: Yeah, so it wasn't so much that, I mean, I really don't care what happens to this league. I was just hoping and it probably wouldn't work out that way solely because the demographic of the golfer that they would be bringing in, that if you're thinking about mid to late 40s, international It's not the people like me who want to tune in. It's like you're. It's why the Champions Tour. I mean, if Tiger ever played on the Champions Tour, obviously the Champions Tour would do its best ratings of all time. But once my generation of golfers, who I've watched for 30 years, gets to the Champions Tour, I see how that now becomes appealing because I'm 55 and I'm watching the other 55 year olds. Yes, I, I don't want to be. You know. 32 27 watching a bunch of uh, watching VJ Singh who I never watched play on the PGA Tour, play on the Champions Tour. It just doesn't work out like that. So I guess the demographic for this other league, if it does turn into mid 40s, late 40s, early 50s international players like you're just cutting off And a
3: off. 22-year-old off the Asian Tour. You know, I mean, that's what it's sure, going to yeah. be. It's going to be mm-hmm. it's going to be Lee Westwood <laughs> against the guy who's 42nd on the order of merit on the Asian Tour. So I mean, if that's your cup of coffee, cool man, two two creams and a sugar. Let's go. Watch out it's time for an ad break.
2: Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted more energy. I needed something in the morning that wouldn't make me Logie, but give me energy for going to workout, keep me focused, help me recover throughout the course of the day. And that was Athletic Greens. That is Athletic Greens. So, what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. And frankly, I feel a whole lot better the moment I start ingesting my daily athletic greens. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten, regular, I suppose. It all is going to work for you. It costs less than $3 a day and you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than a cold brew habit. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. And AG1 Athletic Greens is small micro habit with big benefits. The one thing you can do every single day is to take care of yourself. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm yourself with an immune system that's convenient with daily nutrition. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com mayo. Again, that's athleticgreens.com mayo to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Do you want to learn a new skill to build websites, troubleshoot tech issues, or transition into a new career? That's great, because over 50 million people already know that Codecademy is the best way to learn code. That's because Codecademy not only teaches you job-ready coding skills, but also helps you build unique projects for your portfolio, earn certificates, and even prep for technical interviews. Learn at your own pace and get qualified for in-demand jobs. Learn coding languages including Python, HTML, slash CSS, SQL, JavaScript, and more. Not sure where to begin? Codecademy will point you in the right direction. And its interactive platform helps you learn by doing. That's always key. Join over 50 million people in learning to code with Codecademy and see where coding can take you. Get 15% off your Codecademy Pro membership when you go to codecademy.com and use promo code MAYO. That's promo code MAYO at codecademy.com to get 15% off Codecademy Pro, the best way to learn code. C O D E C A D E M Y.com promo code MAYO. Well, my thing would be, like, if we wanted to try out some experimental, at least, broadcast, keep it all conventional. Let's just say it's all conventional. 72 holes, stroke play, cut event. Everyone starts like they would normally start on the PGA Tour, but you just incorporated these different touches. Maybe they do shell out the money for every shot on every hole that you can watch on demand. Uh, I Mic up every player. Mic up every... I mean, we see that a lot on the European Tour as well. Like, I I think that would be, and I mean, this this feels like this is where it's going to go with Colt on the broadcast, but you see, and sometimes Sometimes it's the most uncomfortable thing in the world especially after like Tyrrell Hatton has a terrible shot we got a guy walking down to his next shot with him with a microphone in his face like that's real fucking compelling stuff
3: yeah I agree with that and I think we can get good emotion the other thing we have to realize is there are a lot of professional golfers who just aren't that interested. agreed it's what makes them really good professional golfers and so we can't put the cart before the horse when the horse is really you know a 15 year old donkey that is just like okay it's really good at what it does but it's not a stallion that i'm really interested in getting into and this is the problem with any upstart league is there's a handful of guys that truly move the needle and you need those guys to drive an audience because if you're doing something that's totally different it's, the xfl works because football in this country Football, you're going to get people tuning in. I tuned in to the start of the USFL because it was like, oh, it's football. It was a really bad football product, but I still tuned in because it's freaking football. It, it and was, I'm going to
2: watch a little bit of football. It was. And I just listen, It was not great football. Although if you go to runthesims.com, you can go buy projections that can help you win money by betting on the USFL. <laughs> and that's going to be like, that's a big part of it too. Like they've cut their costs so much yeah. by playing in one place. No fans like the oh, the overhead for that league. Obviously it's huge, but it's not as huge as it definitely could be like first run xfl they were they had teams all over the country traveling place to place trying to sell out seventy thousand. i went to a san francisco demons in orlando rage game week two of the xfl first generation when it was around uh like 40 people got kicked out of the stands for fighting with each other i saw one guy put a cigarette out on another guy's back in orlando it was kind of crazy but like just trying to modeling your success and profits off of drawing fans to the stadium versus doing it the other way when you have lower overhead. But even with the USFL, like the drone stuff was kind of annoying because you could hear the drones, but the NFL is most definitely going to have drone concepts next year oh, or yeah. other broadcast. Cause they just saw the USFL do it and they're like, Oh, that actually looks awesome. If we can get it right. We're the NFL. Of course we're going to get it right. And I, I hope that we- would translate in golf as well.
3: we flew a drone through augusta national's clubhouse and it was the coolest thing anybody's ever seen so i mean there's going to be technological advancements i mean i think coming full circle here pat and what we've discussed is what we need to do is you and i will host a live betting show about whatever the offshoot golf league is <laughs> and we're just going to be placing high high wager bets throughout the whole course of this first round shotgun thing. We'll stream it. I'm sure that it's easier to get those rights. So let's let's make all of this happen. We'll do this all together. We'll see if it works or not. I'll never work for the PGA tour again. Once I work on something for another tour. So it is better dang on work, but maybe we'll steal some ideas and everything after it. You're right. Do something different to draw that attention. But the problem is right now, you can't be so different and attract what you need to get attention. You know what I'm saying? It's like a, it's a real I don't even know if it's chicken and egg or cart horse it's chicken and egg. It's a chicken and egg situation right now to try and figure out what that next thing is going to be, because you can't say it's going to be wildly different and then expect John Rom to show up like John Rom likes what John Rom likes right now. And he should like, he this this works for him. And that's what I think is, the, is the problem, but you're right. If it got off the ground, then take some big swings from a broadcast standpoint, take some big swings and how you talk about golf, take some big swings about how you incorporate the betting side of things. And then there could be a trickle down of how that influences what we see in the traditional broadcast product here.
2: Well, the thing is, do they even need to make money? Because isn't this a big part of it that they, just, no. they just, it's almost like potentially a money laundering scheme where whether they make money, they lose money. Ah, who really cares? And the only, the, like I said, my only hope for this other league is that they do something different and cool and then like go out of business or get stolen and whatever. Yeah. And the PGA takes it and just makes their broadcast better. That's all I'm hoping for from this other league. <laughs>
3: Right. Absolutely. And I don't want to comment on where the money comes from because mm-hmm. I like my hands and I'd like to keep my hands. <laughs> and the
2: biggest thing, too, like the all gambling broadcast, I don't think works because people aren't like most of the people I know are not betting shot to shot. I, I hear from this from TV executives, people who don't gamble but work in TV and they want these different broadcasts people aren't betting beyond how to hit the fucking fairway. They're just not. That's not what people bet on in terms of golf. The fun of betting in golf is that you bet on a guy to win. And yeah, there's going to be head-to-head props throughout the day. There's certain in-game stuff that people are going to bet on. But I don't think that the gambling quote-unquote broadcast needs to just talk about gambling the entire time. I think you talk about the odds and that can be a framework. Like you understand what they are and who is shifting at any particular moment. You can even incorporate DraftKings into that as well. It's like, oh, well, I know we need to show this guy, although he is $6,700. He's 24% owned this week. Adam Hadwin is $7,600. He's 21% owned on DraftKings. Like there's a market out there for people who have an interest in what Adam Hadwin is doing just based on that one number alone of people who have money behind him. And then I think that's more of a feed where you just incorporate, not necessarily like every stat in the book, but I remember when Moose and I were first designing and even sold Fantasy National to a company that has the IGM rights and try to incorporate into that product that the goal would always be that that would be a great tool for broadcasters. But if we could come up with some sort of overlay during the broadcast that if... Patrick Cantlay hits it into the left rough and he's 167 yards away from the hole to immediately be able to put up on the screen. Here is his proximity from the left rough from this distance over the past 50 rounds or the past 100 shots that he's hit at that location. I think that is what the gambling feed should be testing out. Not just talking about gambling, gambling framework, the people that enjoy gambling would watch it, but have it just be slightly different like the Apple TV MLB broadcast which I was just really in tune with because I wanted to see how it would work. Not that I love baseball or anything like that but I think they went too far the other way with it where they were putting odds on the screen at all times like these crazy probabilities that It would be better if it had an opt-in, opt-out feature, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, I can have these overlays if I want it because it's digital, or I don't need them to have them at all. And the broadcast crew doesn't need to read everything that's on the page. It's like the professors in university who run a slideshow, and they just read the slides that you can read. Like, what's the point? You could have sent this to me.
3: I don't need to be here. (laughs) I I think two points to that. Number one, I think the PGA Tour recognizes that there's a real opportunity for live betting on-site not necessarily even yeah. the audience that's sort of away from it is that this fan experience on site and boosting the ability for people to be able to be on their phones and see the product right in front of them and building some things out with their betting partners is going to really improve and increase the level of engagement in the on-site product so I think that's a big component of it moving forward because you create this because I mean think of how much in-game betting there is right now in NBA facilities where it's legalized or in NFL facilities where you were able to do some of this sort of stuff and I think they're seeing that element of it and want to transition to it which I think is cool because I think that's an under-discussed part of this is we talk so much about what the TV product is like but these are independently run tournaments in a lot of respects and they're trying to find ways to entice people to come through the gates and pay for a day pass and buy concessions and all this other sort of stuff because it props up these tournaments and the charitable arm that goes with it. And I think that there's there's a side of that that's going to be there. And in, in terms of the broadcast integration stuff, I think a lot of it has to do with understanding what we're capable of doing. And then it goes back to the education of the broadcaster, his or herself. And so the PGA Tour Live stuff, we're seeing a lot more of that data integration, like what their numbers are, what they rank from certain distances. But like to give you an example, a couple of weeks ago, when I was doing the radio broadcast of the RBC heritage and I had shot link right in front of me, we're going to a playoff and I'm able to pull up that Patrick Cantlay was best in the field all week from 150 to 175 yards in terms of proximity and score in relation to par on those 11 approach shots that he had. And Oh, by the way, we were probably going to have approach shots of that distance when we got to a playoff against Jordan speed, who was down the board. Now obviously it didn't work out that way with Jordan Speeth getting it up and down from the bunker to win that tournament. But those are the little things that I could add to the broadcast really quickly if someone was listening along to Lana, be like, Oh, that provides context and how this person has done in a certain way through it. And another thing that I've taken it upon myself, and I think our PGA our radio crew does an amazing job of is we're really good at tracking what the cut is likely going to be on a Friday, which I think <laughs> people don't understand on Friday oh afternoon. My God. That is oh my God. one of the most dramatic parts of watching golf on a Friday. And it gets butchered so poorly by where the cut number happens to be not where it's going and what really helps is the the PGA Tour has a relationship with the data golf guys and I love their website and I'm not here to pimp other people's websites but it's sort of acceptable because there's a PGA Tour relationship in terms of win probabilities and a few things there and they've got the moving you know cut percentages and I'm like well we've got a relationship here and I'm just going to go ahead and flat out (laughs) quote the website as it's changing live on the air so people understand that right now the cut line is at minus two but because it's blowing. And 30, and the average score today is 73. This cut number's got a 50 50 shot of going between even and one over. Y'all should probably know that it's important. Now, we typically spin that into, well, Ricky Fowler's two outside the cut line, because then all of a sudden everybody kind of has an emotional stake in that. But I'm saying that because I've got Ricky Fowler fan over here who wants to know where Ricky's likely to make in the weekend is. And I've got you, Pat, over here being like, I'm sweating half of my DFS lineup that's in the house at even par. Thank you, Will, for telling me that there's a 50% chance the cut number goes to even and that's where i think we can be better as broadcasters but again i'm the young guy <laughs> well that, uh, that's the big thing like you're right the pga tour live broadcast
2: does a good job of that the radio broadcast does a good job of that how does the main broadcast grasp this
3: concept i i don't know i mean i don't know is it because I the mean, pro- if- like
2: the producers that you work with on the radio or even for the pga live what would you say the average age of those people are
3: Uh, Oh yeah, they're younger. I mean, they're thirties, you know, they're, they're working their way up to it. I think that there is an age thing. There's been some turnover, I think at the network level of it, but again, there's so many elements that go into that product. And again, I don't think that product is geared towards it. And I will also, I have much more freedom to freelance in what I'm doing in a, broadcast because it's not as complicated it's not a massive truck there's not a million cameras you know radio there's five of us on the air every week three guys calling golf shots a host and an analyst and on pga tour live on these streams there's a host and an analyst and in two of the or three of the four streams there's a person walking the golf course and there's a lot more room to let the broadcast breathe so i have an opportunity to talk to my producer and say hey you want me to work in a cut number you know, discussion here. Oh, hey, by the way, the cut just moved to one, but it looks like it could go all the way down to even par. I think we have a lot more freedom to sort of work that in because we don't have to cram as much stuff in because it's not as complicated of a broadcast. I mean, I defend the guys in TV. It's a really, it's the most complicated broadcast in all of professional sports is uh, doing TV, the TV golf broadcast.
2: I would agree, but it just seems like there are fundamentally things they just get wrong when it comes down to it. Like the cut, like just saying like, if they're going to bring up the cut line, why not have the accurate number of what it's actually going to be? Like, if you're going to be talking what about What it's it going to go to. What it's going yeah. to go to. It's not yeah. like, well, the, yeah. the cut is minus one. There's no way he's making the cut. It's like, well, we know, as an educated viewer, we know that's not correct. It's like, when I, whenever I just, it, it happens so often about how good of a putter Corey Connors is. Like, we know that's not true. Why are you saying this? True. Where is this information? I don't like, know. The information has to come from somewhere. You know, like Are people just making it up? <laughs>
3: It's anecdotal. It's relationship, right? So, you, you, uh, I know Corey halfway decent. I know his coach pretty well. Would he's he, aware. Would, would he, his coach he is aware. Saying, would he admit he's a good putter or a bad putter? No. <laughs> like, versus he, me, I'm sure better. he's great. <laughs> he's gotten better. His strokes gain numbers, I don't think, bear out as much work that's gone in there in terms of some of his, his speed control. I think, has gotten better as a PGA tour. This is now we're getting into the weeds on one particular player, but you're right. Like, you can't point. It's like the. Here's a really good one for you. Victor Hovland is still statistically speaking, the worst chipper on the PGA tour, right? But if you talk to a, a player or guys who have won on the PGA tour, they really like his action better than two years ago. He's gotten better fundamentally as a pitcher chipper of the golf ball around the greens. But con- conversely, it's like, well, he's still last. Like, he's still last. <laughs> he's last. Like I can't, I can't look at the strokes gain around the green stat and not point that out on a broadcast. And so it's, it's all contextual, right? But What's I, the context around I, I, what we're going to say about him? So I, that's where we have to have the conversation. So my analyst has to say, I like what I'm seeing. And then I have to challenge him with, yeah, but his numbers aren't bearing out. What is it that you like? What, what progress, I guess, are you seeing? And let's merge both of these opinions because it's really hard for me to say, oh, yeah, he's, he's really worked hard on this when he's getting better. And it's like, okay, well, tell me how, because I'm not seeing it from a results-based standpoint.
2: And I think that's the perfect way to do it, to blend that context. Like that's why people are there. That's why people talk to the players, to the coaches, to get that insight of what is changing, what, what, I mean, if that was the case, we just have to look at a spreadsheet the entire time. So merging those two worlds I think is perfect. It's just when people come up with just these like weird things that are just objectively not true. And then I have no idea where that could have possibly come from. And I just find it very confusing. And since that's like generally you find that stuff, on the bigger broadcast, more people will tend to hear that, believe it, and then they're spouting it out. And it's like, no, that's absolutely not true. This is how false narratives end up getting created. It's sort of like drive for show, putt for dough, which is actually the exact opposite of how people make money (laughs) in golf.
3: (laughs) That is, that is very true. It is drive for dough and then putt for wins. That's pretty much what it is. Drive from dough and putt to win the golf tournament. Although we've seen a couple of times where you don't even have to putt and you can still win a golf tournament, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, there are interesting arguments about that. I mean, I die on the strokes gained approach hill with – it's just – it's to me, it's, there's too much evidence. But I know a lot of people that study the numbers too, and they're like, well, no, it's not necessarily the case because if it's this balanced really across the course of a tournament. And I was like, yeah, but – it, it, you're improving your probabilities, the better iron player that you are, but again, it all comes back to context, Pat. And I think this is where sometimes you don't have enough time to provide that context. And that's what I think it's makes it a little bit messy and a little bit murky because how do we define what a good ball striker is? If you have a PGA tour card, you're a fucking good ball striker. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they find the middle of the club base all the time for the most part. They're just happy. But Colin Morikawa finds the perfect middle of the club face more often than some of those other guys. So to me, Colin Murakawa is an elite ball striker and so-and-so at a 214th on the PGA tour is not a good ball striker, but they're all legitimately in the game of golf, great ball strikers. And that's where it gets a little bit murky. I think is that you can have these relationships. You can have, you know, guys that are analysts who have struggled and have had success on the PGA Tour, and they just see how good these guys are. And it's really hard to say, well, this guy stinks. It's easier for you and I to say that when we have numbers to kind of back up that opinion. And that's where I have to be a little bit careful because I don't want to ruin some of those relationships. But I think there's some great players out there where I, I'd point that out and be like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of guys that know about it. It's just... You have to get them in the right mood for them to actually admit that we're right about what we're talking about with those stats. So I let the analyst make that key, but I'll challenge an analyst. You know, I'll challenge a former player and be like, "How can you really can't say that?" And I think that's where you just have to have the freedom to be able to kind of freelance and have those conversations. And some broadcasts lend themselves better to that than others.
2: Yeah. I, I really liked your comment about, you know, drive for show putt to win, because that's really what it yep. does come down to. Like whoever gets, whoever ends up putting the best along with the grid ball striking is generally going to win the tournament by Sunday afternoon. But like even to speak something like Vicks around the green game, you know how you shield a bad around the green game by being an awesome ball striker. If you never have to chip because you hit 80% of your greens in regulation, it's less of a factor for you than it would be for other people. And then you could even argue, well, his sample is lower because he hit so many greens in regulation that if he screws up a chip, then it just looks worse by the numbers than everything else because his sample isn't as big as someone like Patrick Reed who hits like 55% of greens in regulation and is constantly chipping. He just happens to be very good at it. It's like guys that miss putts from three feet away. It's going to negatively impact their strokes game putting, even if they make, you know, nine out of 10 putts from seven feet, but they missed two from three feet. Well, it, it's still going to turn out to be a negative by the end of the day. So there are weird stuff within the stats that don't necessarily tell the whole story. That's why the context I think is very valuable with some of this stuff. Um, I did want to get your take on, you were talking to me a little bit, and I, I really appreciate that as, a, as someone I tune into, like I love listening to the radio broadcast. I actually prefer to the TV broadcast a lot of the time. And especially when my kids were like one and two, I'd be taking them out. It was a nice day in the middle of the summer, take them out for walks plug in the app, stream it straight from the app, and boom, I can follow along with the golf. Hey, you guys get to more shots anyway. There's better context because it does feel like on the main broadcast, every shot is either the easiest shot in the world or the hardest shot in the world, and there's no way they could ever pull it off, and everyone's very surprised that they put it to two feet. I feel like there's real context in terms of the radio. We get to see more of the action, especially from a DraftKings perspective or a betting perspective, that you're not ignoring my guy who's in fourth place just because he's not a big name for TV you guys will actually talk about them. You'll get more into the stats and the weeds and that kind of thing. But I just really like that broadcast. And I do appreciate that you have, I mean, you learn about the numbers, but really getting into this gambling space and all the different spaces that I wasn't even aware of. And I was telling you that I I see it pop up on my show so infrequently. And then like you hear about this guy and he'll start arguing with me about something. I'm like, have you never made a bad, have you never looked at a stat before it's, and it really happens a lot when I say they drive, you know, don't putt for dough, drive for dough. Uh, And they're like, no, that's not what it is. You need to be the best putter in order to win. It's like, no, no, no. like, trust me on this one. I've done a lot of research on it. You're just some Jamoke who tunes into golf like once every six weeks, (laughs) something like that. And that's a huge part of the audience. I understand that, but it's just not a part of my world that I see a lot. Now your world, you deal with all of these people, don't you?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I do. I mean, again, it's golf is both the, best and the worst sport because it from a playing standpoint it's one of the few sports where you can play with anybody of any skill level any background wherever but at the same point in time then that lends itself to this wide-ranging audience or fandom that are viewing or experiencing the game in completely different ways and there's just all these different pathways to get into it and you know, it was five years ago, six years ago, I guess now when I had lost some of my work on Sirius XM and I I didn't have like my talk show audiences that I, I have a little bit now. I, I fill in and do a bunch of shows and I need this. I need like podcasts like this just to talk about this stuff. I mean, there's crap going on in my head all the time. I, it has to get out of the body somehow. And I didn't have that. And I was like, well, let me get into the podcasting space. And I started a podcast called The Perfect Number, I think in 2017, And the reason why I started it was I was looking around and it's like, well, what area of golf is not served? You had plenty of golf bros. You had plenty of their architecture pods. There were um, instruction. I mean, Oh my God. I mean, there's so many instruction. How many people want to dissect their game down to the tiniest levels is it's amazing. I don't, I don't know how I've been playing golf since I was 13 years old and I consider myself a field player and I'm a stat geek, you know, it's like, I'm a complete, I'm a walking I'm a walking um, hypocrite when it comes to golf because I love all the stats and all the technology, but God help me if I had to you know, look at myself on video all the time and try and figure out how to play golf. So I was trying to find what I thought was underserved and I use stats in every sport I've ever broadcast. It's my way of connecting to the athlete experiences I didn't experience it at the highest level. So whether it's me calling a volleyball match or a basketball game or a golf tournament, I always sort of went to the stats and I didn't feel like people were discussing that area of it, but you're right. there's There were so many different, elements of it and then it was through me starting a podcast that was really you know um it was inspired by mark brody's work and all the strokes gain stuff that was done that i discovered how much stats trickled into your world and the gaming aspect of it and i've just it's been such a great group because there's look there are a few people that are a little (laughs) angry from time to time but i just find it to be it's the entertainment within the entertainment like you love golf not because of what a guy's swing looks like. You're not here to say that one green is better designed than another green. You just want to, you just want to interact with the result of the players. And so I, I found it to be just a really happy space of people. Now I ended up, I joke with people. I had like 116 or 120 something episodes and, at least 25% of my guests over the year ended up starting their own podcast. And I was like, the hell with this. Like, I'm getting out of this cesspool. I mean, there's the ocean is so full right now that I'm done. And I'm blessed by the fact that I have I get to call sports for a living and not have to worry about fighting for, you know, relevancy space in a massive ocean of content. But I just, I loved getting to sort of learn people. And so, yeah, it's not that one side is better than the other. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like there's just a really good objective view of the game in this space. And so, I love that intersection of how I analyze the game through stats and how the gaming community uses those stats to inform what they do. Uh, and yet, I've never been comfortable making 50 DFS lineups in one contest. I still can't do it, Pat. You got to tell me about that one.
2: listen, fantasynational.com slash mail. I'll even comp you a membership. You can go make your lineups just like that in under 10 seconds. You'll be good to go. Just pick the players that you want. Pick like 20 of them. I'll make your lineups for you. You'll be fine. I just find it so crazy to think that. Especially like living in this space, calling it like, Hey, seemingly positive. Cause that's not, maybe it's because the interactions that you remember tend to be the negative reactions
3: versus the positive sure. interactions. I mean, people lose, yeah, you lose people money. they get mad at you. But I, I'm talking about the content creator standpoint. There are very few, I feel to be angry content creators in this space where there are other people who are trying to sort of sway and move opinion about what the game is or isn't like, I just enjoy golf the way that it is right now. You know, I enjoyed the way golf was 25 years ago. Like we evolve in sport, Can we just evolve with it and, and sit back and be happy with what it is right now. And I feel like there's so many other areas in the golf space where it's people that are so nostalgic or so, Worried about, I don't know. It's just, it, it bothers me a little bit. I don't have enough time in my life to be that upset. And angry. I just want to watch sports and love sport. I love sports. I just want to watch the sport that's in front of me and call it and interact with it. And I, I found this community to be really fun at doing that.
2: It's just really funny to me that the community that you would say tends to be the most positive are the ones losing money on it every single week. Yes. Not, not, not the people like Listen, as someone who loses a lot of money betting on golf, playing DraftKings golf, just trying to ride that high of getting that big long shot win, over time, if you can break even, you're doing really well, but a lot of the time, it just ends in failure. It's hard to pick golf winners. It's hard to win at DraftKings, and you have to deal a lot with just losing money. Stop thinking about it. Moving on to the next week and try to win money that week. I couldn't imagine being angry at something that I literally have no investment in. That makes no, like, it was, I always heard about Torrey Pines. People were really upset about the U.S. Open at Torrey. Like, what a horrible course. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, they're
3: playing it. Let's watch it. (laughs) I know. It's a beautiful piece of property. I love going there. It's a really, really fucking hard golf course. I mean, it is, I don't want to play it. Like, I've been, be like, oh, you want to play it? Nope. I have no interest in going out there and losing five golf balls that go two feet off of the fairway, but guess what? If it's not even the, okay, say it's just the week of farmer's insurance. The week before, where were we? We were in the desert at, in Palm Springs, no rough, making a ton of birdies. Like you get a little bit of everything. Like who cares? Like, why are we so upset? Like it, you know what? Some players like the test. Some players don't want to get, don't want to play hard golf courses. Phil's going to play Palm Springs more than he's going to play Torrey Pines, even though there's a San Diego connection because it, well, I guess he's not playing at all, but at this stage of Phil's life, he wants an easier golf course. Good. Let's go do that. There's something for everybody. We don't need to be upset. Like, just enjoy the golf. Something great's going to happen on Sunday. That's the only problem with golf is it takes a long time to get from the start of the week to the conclusion that you need. And the back nine's always super entertaining. Someone throws up on themselves. Someone makes a run. Something crazy happens. There's a ruling. It's a really entertaining product on Sunday afternoon. And let's just enjoy that. From what you can see being out on the course, obviously not every week, but interacting
2: with the players, seeing them in person, are there guys that we don't assess as being good who you think are like, I can't believe this guy isn't like results better that you just kind of casually observe?
3: No, I mean, you know, most of them. I mean, all of the great ball strikers that just for whatever reason can't get it in the hole as much. Luke List? Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. Yeah. And Luke from a, I mean, it's a long career too. I mean, he's always been a flusher and yeah, the putting struggled, but I mean, I don't know. I don't, that's a great question that I wasn't prepared to answer. Um, I mean, there's plenty of guys. I mean, I think Corey Connors should win four times a year. If we go back to Corey Connors, like, I mean, it's the, the swing is perfect. It goes everywhere and it's obviously a putting issue from time to time with him. And he's tried to shorten the routine a little bit. So it's like those guys that I just feel like have such a repeatable motion. And when you stand next to them, You know, it's different. There are certain guys where the ball has a different sound to it. I mean, Henrik Stenson in his prime had a different sound to the golf ball coming off the club. Like, he's a guy you go to the range and sort of watch. So there are guys like that that I think inspire. I mean, to be honest with you, the guy that I'm – most excited to see who I think is going to win 20 times whenever he decides to turn pro is Eugenio Chikara at Oklahoma state. And I haven't been wowed by someone hitting a golf ball standing next to him as much as I was that guy. He decided to go back to college for another year next year and deny us the opportunity, but it's every now and then it's like one of those guys that could just do something to a golf ball that you don't see done very often.
2: Last thing, our players and coaches. I mean, obviously, yes, they are using analytics of some sort, I would think that like Bryson's probably on like the cutting edge of something like that. But do you think that the majority of players are using things and stats in order to try to create a game plan for a course? Or are a lot of guys just, hey, I'm awesome at this. I'm just going to go out and do it now.
3: If they're not using it, they're going to lose their card eventually. And that even means some of the top players in the world. So, yes, they're all using it, but they're all using it in different ways. There are very few players that are super hands-on with their stats. They don't want the immediate feedback. So they're either outsourcing it to guys who are doing it for him. Like Hunter Stewart's a great example. He's starting to get a lot more clients on tour. He was a great player at Vanderbilt and he's been working with some guys and he actually charts it in a somewhat different way and looks at some of these things a little bit differently, but there are full-time guys out there on tour whose job it is to go back through shot link in previous years and look at trends and where guys are hitting it. You know, Scott Fawcett is, you know, has the probably the biggest, I would say, a uh, spotlight on him in terms of what he's done with his decade system and just sort of mapping out core strategy of when to lay up, when to send it, where to aim it off the tee based off of, you know, where the, the least likelihood is that you're going to get into a big trouble situation. So yeah, they're all using it. It's just a question of, is it your coach that's looking at those stats to validate the work that you're putting into it? Do you have a dedicated stats person? Then are you looking at it every quarter? Are you looking at it at the end of every week? But yeah, all these guys are mapping out core strategy at the beginning of the week to try and figure it out. And it's a big game changer. And this is where I I get on my little bit of a soapbox is that the entire sport has revolutionized itself in a very short window of time in relation to the history of the game itself. It's all sort of been mid-90s, to now, I mean, I guess you could say steel in terms of club manufacturing in the 80s, but really from the mid 90s on you've got the golf ball you've got titanium you've got shot link and data and analytics and core stuff you've got physical fitness, you've got all of these things that all came into the professional game right around the same time in a very compact window. And it all goes now into this blender that these guys are using. And so now to be successful out on the PGA tour, you have to incorporate all of it. And there's so much money now you can pay a team and somebody to do that for you. So maybe you're looking at one or two things. Um, at the end of the season or into every week. But yeah, these guys are overloading on it, but there's someone close to them that should be or probably is overloading on the analytics.
2: How many of the players do you think actually take it seriously? Because that's always been the biggest problem, like even in baseball, when like that's why the Rays had been so good for so long because they seem to have a lot of synergy between the manager, the player, the players that they pick, from the highest end of the front office and everyone in between, whether they were analytics people or not, they were on the same page of decision making. So when Joe Madden was there and Freeman was in the front office, like, hey, even though Joe Madden may not understand everything of why it's happening, he was on board because that was the decision making process that he had to go implement. I would think that even if you had an analytical team in golf telling Justin Thomas something, that he's like, I'm Justin Thomas. Like, why am I listening to you about this? When it's like, no, man, you should really be hitting five iron off this tee. Honest to God, this would be the better path for you. He's like, no, no, I'm just going to hit a stinger three wood. I'm going to fade it right around. It's going to be perfect. And when I hit it, it's going to be awesome. It's like, yeah, but if you did this a hundred times, you would want to do it this way. I feel like there would be conflict between the player and what the stats are telling you, because it's just hard to see when you're the one actually doing it sometimes.
3: I actually did a podcast with Mike Thomas, Justin's dad about this very question. (laughs) And Mike's the one that's probably looking at the stats more than Justin is. Although Justin knows half of his goals on half a third of his annual goals are shot link related. Like he wants to improve strokes, gain numbers. He wants to improve in some of these. Areas. So you damn well know he's tracking them. Cause if he has goals that are stats based through the course of the year, Rory McIlroy's talked about it. You know, he looks at, at the end of the year, like how good is my year? Okay. I won two or three times, but I improved in these four areas. Maybe it should have led to more wins or maybe I exceeded it. These guys are paying attention to it. Uh, and the smart ones get it that they have to look into all these areas. And Pat, I, I wish we could outlaw the word analytics because I feel like it carries such a negative connotation. You say analytics in baseball and a purist says shift. And they're like, the shift has ruined my game. And it's like, well, no, like we looked at tendencies and we made defense better. Like, aren't we supposed to evolve and get better to try and win? Isn't the end result or the end goal in all of sports to try and get better. And if we just took, the, I feel like analytics has been thrown around as a dirty word. There's been course strategy for a hundred years. I'm sure Bobby Jones didn't attack every single flag stick on a golf course. He looked at a couple was like, nope, I can't get to that one. Gonna have to play over here to the left a little bit. Or, you know what? In order to get to that back right hole, it'd be nice if I was down the left hand side, even if it trickles into the rough. That's course analytics. It just didn't happen with a laser to validate all the data points that we had going into it. So that's the stuff that really kind of that irks me is that people are like, oh, analytics are ruining the sport. It's like, no, what analytics are doing are validating or in some cases, going back to the drive for show, putt for do thing, invalidating longstanding beliefs in the sport. You cannot stop humans from evolving. And that comes to sports too. And this is just part of the natural evolution of it. And you're going to have to get over it and call it something else if you want to, but they're going to be using it because it's the way to get better.
2: It's funny that you mentioned the core strategy, obviously that's been around for ages. It just seems like that is now accessible to everyone. Previously, you kind of had to figure that out for yourself. And that was a huge set. I mean, that was a huge separator for Tiger for so many years that he just knew how to play courses properly. It's not like he was going, he wasn't Hunter Mahan. He wasn't going after every single pin every single time. No, he'd figure it out. That's why whenever you got to a hard course, like, oh yeah, Tiger is going to run away with this and smoke the field because he's going to make the fewest mistakes because he knows where to hit it. With the numbers that are available to people now and whether it's people doing it third party, whether it's a part of your own team, Team that's coming up with these strategies at least it's available to everyone now it feels like that's been a part of leveling the playing field when we see the best players in the world there's not like oh yeah these three guys just know that better than everyone else because i think it's funny now like bryson seemed to be not necessarily at the forefront of all of this but we had a long running joke for a long time that before he became like the power guy and it feels like analytics and numbers really fuel that it's like oh i need to be long i need to have more distance because i've charted that this is the most repeatable skill in all of golf. I can be great at this. I just need to, everything else to be okay, and I can win. But before that, before he was hitting it nine or 3.90 off the tee, we always joked that he would be a guy that if you could play a course at a simulator, like if you went to Harbortown, you could do Heritage on a simulator, any course that had a simulator version of it that Bryson would just be awesome at because he would just have it figured out of how to play it properly before
3: he just wanted to bomb it off every tee. <laughs> When Bryson was in college, he wanted to be the most accurate driver. (laughs) He was trying to make swing changes so he could hit every fairway. Like, think about that. I mean, this is a guy that's always tinkered and always figured and done things a little bit differently. He had something in his mind. Then he gets out on the PGA Tour. He starts to recognize through a lot of this data that that's not the way. Like, he he made a philosophical, complete 180 shift in how he approached the entire game. And look, Bryson's got – Bryson has plenty of issues in how he's dealt with controversy and how he's sort of carried his own brand and his image and everything, but I will, I'll die on this mountain too. He didn't get nearly the respect that he needed to get for what he did to transform himself. I mean, he put in the time, he said, this is what it's going to take. And he changed and it may have been to the detriment of his body long-term. But if you walked up and down the range of the PGA tour, not Brooks Kepka, but anybody else on the PGA tour and said, what do you think about what Bryson is doing? They're like, it's unbelievable. Like I don't have enough time in my life, especially guys that have kids. Like there's no way I could have, committed the time that it would take to bulk to learn how to swing to do all the speed training to break down like where we're going to hit it i was with him and walked with him when he won at rocket mortgage and people looked at it like well i can't do it." That. and that's a very narrow tree line golf course and the greens were pretty firm that week and his driving accuracy numbers weren't great because they're never going to be great but pat he missed it in the right spots all the time so if on one you were dead if you were right right rough absolute death he hits driver off that tee. Where he ended up? Short of the left bunker, pitching a putt, makes birdie, goes on to the second hole. It's not as simple as, oh, well, you got to find the fairway here. Or, I can't believe he's bulking up. Like, no, he's still stinking smart about doing it. And I just don't think he ever got enough credit for that. And you know, he shot himself in the foot with a lot of things. A lot of bad PR in that stretch. But what he did was revolutionary. I mean, he, he did what it would take an entire generation of players to get to in the span of 18 months. Like completely changed himself as a golfer and won a major.
2: And the underrated part about Bryson's game, as always, is how good he is on the greens. That people don't really seem to realize that. I, I think because there's so mm-hmm. much attention paid to him, like it's really it's a hundred. It's lot like Rory, like 125 yards
3: and in. If they could just figure that out, they'd win all the time. Oh, without a doubt. And I'll still contend. And here's the thing: he's got this swing, and he's it's tried and true. It's the single plane. Like he's gonna go. Like, can we please just put a standard length, <laughs> like 58 degree wedge in the bag? I mean. I've never talked to him about this one specifically, but I would love to get it off the record. Even like, I mean, please, like, why not? Like, what's the what's the harm? He's really good at golf. Like, it's not a robot. Like, he's really, really stinking good. He's got touch. He's got feel. He's got all these things. He could take a standard gripped 58 degree wedge and hit a flop shot. Oh, it'd be so nice. It would, it would be great if he just showed up. Like, all right, guys, I got all these clubs in the bag They're the same length, except I've put a different wedge in now, so I can hit little feel wristy shots around the green. I'm like, hey. I, I think it would change things. Don't you? I mean, I don't know. It's, that's my hypothesis, but he refuses to do that.
2: Well, I, I guess it really depends on what you value. And it, it does seem like the, the distance factor in reshaping his body. He just said that, like, I'm going to win more if I do it this way. And frankly, like I'm just looking right now, the past, uh, the driving distance leaders and the fairways gained leaders. The guys, the most accurate versus the longest players on the PGA Tour right now. You can see where the money is going. Just because you hit the ball a long ways doesn't guarantee you're going to make any money whatsoever. We know this. But the driving distance leaders are Bryson, Rory, Brem. I mean, Brem just won. Cam Champ, Vegas, Matthew Wolf, Joseph Bramlett, Taylor Pendrith, Cameron Young, Trey Mullenix, John Rom, Luke List, Brooks Kepka. And if you look at the most accurate players, like they're good players. But they're the six thousand dollar range on DraftKings, Ryan Armour, Shez Reevy, Brian Stewart, the Todd Father, Tyler Duncan, Martin Lair, Jim Herman. They need so much more to go right for them in order to win a tournament versus those other guys who just need to do less wrong.
3: Well, and the thing is, all those guys you mentioned that are super accurate are elite at something else. You know, I mean, Brendan Todd's an elite putter. Like the only way that they're their staying power is happening because of something that is incredibly elite that keeps them on the PGA tour. It's all about we talk about managing misses, right? Or managing mistakes, trying to avoid bogeys. The guys who hit it are really far away. And again, they're not super crooked, but the guys that are hitting it a far away are just giving themselves more opportunities through the course of a round. And that's where the analytics sort of played out is that if Calvin Pete had added five more yards to his drives when he was hitting what 82% of his fairways back in the eighties, if you just gotten five yards longer and even had sacrificed 5% of his fairways, golf would have been easier for Calvin Pete. We just know that now because you give yourself these opportunities, you know, the difference between a guy who's 65% driving accuracy on the PGA tour and 60% is a whole bunch of spaces in the rankings, but over the course of a round of golf is a, is less than a fairway over the course of a four round tournament is two fairways two two fairways. And if that first guy is 20 yards shorter than the second guy who's only hitting two less fairways, that's an extra club and a half into every green for four rounds. It's a huge difference. And that's where the numbers have, I think, changed the game a little bit. And then there's the whole argument of, well, they're able to swing harder and all the technology and that's valid, but guess what? We could roll this whole thing back to a spinny ball with a persimmon, persimmon driver. And everybody's going to swing it like Greg Norman did in the 1980s. We're not going to have a whole bunch of different players. Like we're going to go back to all that equipment. Everybody's going to look like Greg Norman who, Oh, by the way. Oh yeah became the number one player in the world swinging out of his shoes because length mattered. Will Haskett, the book comes out this fall. Can you give us
2: some insight to what's going to be in it?
3: Yeah. So if you're into serendipitous timing, I decided to quit my podcast after four years. And the next day was approached by an editor who said, Hey, we're looking for someone to write a book called the science of golf. And I was like, well, that seems to be serendipitous timing. (laughs) And so with a, a, a hundred some odd guests that all sort of talked about it, just, it's a lot of what the podcast was kind of rolled into a book. Um, it's a pretty broad subject when someone says the science of golf. So I tried to cover all the different areas in a very 100 level course type of position because I started writing the book thinking I'm going to impress a lot of the experts that I've met in this one. And then I realized I'm not an expert. So how could I impress the experts? So it's a, it's a really good look at all of it. And again, what I mentioned in like the last 25 years and all these scientific developments, it's that it's psychology, it's fitness it's all of these things sort of rolled into one book of what we've learned about how to make the the best golfer with a lot of anecdotal stuff i mean there's tiger and phil and lee trevino references throughout the book as well uh, which i think is pretty fun so i appreciate it. let me talk about it
2: yeah so you can go pre-order that on amazon right now comes out in the fall of 2022 and catch will periodically on pga tour live on sirius xm radio the pga tour channel so when are you gonna do you get to do any of the majors like will you be on site for the pga Championship?
3: I will be one of those guys on featured group coverage. So you'll have to figure out which one I am because as I say, as a play-by-play announcer, I hate all of your teams. So whichever stream you're on, I'm yes. I'm that guy that you don't like broadcasting um, at the PJ championship. Like, I think there's four featured group fe- feeds on ESPN plus from the PJ championship. So I'll be anchoring one of those four. Have you been to Southern Hills before? Are you familiar with the course? I have not. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Obviously we all remember what it was like the last time when it was just, you know, blazing hot and and awful um, when Tiger won. And I'm curious to see this golf course because, you know, this is perfect rough growing season. So if they can get that thing really green and really shaggy, uh, I think it could be a really hard test of golf, and we honestly could see more of a U.S. Open at the PGA Championship this year than maybe even the U.S. Open itself. I mean, I know Brookline can get fertilized, but it's it's a different vibe for a U.S. Open golf course going to Brookline this year than I think you would see at some of the more traditional ones like Oakmont and those places. So I'm really interested to see how this golf course is set up when I get there. For the PJ Championship.
2: Well, you can check Will out at all of those locations, plus follow him on Twitter at Will Haskett. Obviously, follow me at The PME. Sub to the pod, sub to the channel, sub to the newsletter, and buy fantasynational.com/slash mail for that 20% off if you want to do a deeper dive into the stats, customize them any way you want. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time.